Welcome back to Keeping Tabs. I'm Tab the Croc, and I would like to thank our sponsor, 32 Below, Froyo and More, uh, officially opened here in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. They have frozen yogurt, small bites, uh, adult beverages, uh, and much more. So make sure you follow them on their social media to keep up to date on everything happening. Today, I interview Taylor Four. He works for the Coeur d'Alene Resort, uh, past athlete, uh, student body president at his college, and he has a really great perspective on college sports, um, why he was raised the way he was, and how it has uh, impacted his life, and then working for the Coeur d'Alene Resort. So, enjoy the episode. All right, we have Taylor Four with me, and he is the national sales manager for the Coeur d'Alene Resort Golf and uh, Spa, right? Did I say it all right? Absolutely. You oh. said it right. <laughs> awesome. So he has been uh, working there for a while since I've known him, but could you give us a little bit of a background on where you're from, how did you get here, and what you're doing now? Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having me. It's awesome to see the success you're having with the podcast. So I'm just thrilled to be, to be a part, part of it. So thank you. Uh, originally, I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. I've uh, two brothers and a sister. So I've got a large family down there. And um, we grew up playing sports. I was fortunate enough to get to play uh, college football. And so that was a unique experience out in uh, East Texas at Texas A&M uh, University Commerce. Um, played football there and then also had the opportunity to serve as a student body president. And that was kind of the first time to get to uh, see what skills an athlete learns, leadership, discipline, accountability, um, how that turns into, you know, transitions into the real world. And so that was really a unique experience for me. We had about 10,000 students and really enjoyed uh, that role. And then I transitioned into um, a career there. I was a development officer for athletics. So I did fundraising, uh, worked for the, uh, the foundation for the university. And uh, it was great. I loved my time in, in East Texas. And it led me to meet my wife or my future wife, Jenna. Uh, was DeLong. She's from Coeur d'Alene. We met, she was a softball coach. And so we met down there and uh, decided we want to start a family. And it's funny, we were talking about different places to kind of move to, to get our career going. And it's hard. We were both working in college athletics and that's a demanding uh, lifestyle. And we visited up here in May of 2014. And by uh, July 1st, we lived here. So <laughs> we, uh, we easy, easy choice, huh? <laughs> yeah. I refer to it as the recruiting trip. So whenever I came in May, I got to see all the uh, the hot spots of Coeur d'Alene, so it was great. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a great place to raise a family. We got immediately connected with Real Life Ministries and I've served there at uh, the church. And uh, yeah, just got started um, in real estate. Her dad, Mike DeLong, was a, uh, worked at the Coeur d'Alene Resort for a while and then got into real estate. So he helped us get our real estate license. My wife still uh, practices, you know, does real estate. And I worked at NIC for a little bit and then had the opportunity to come over to the resort in, uh, in a sales role. And I'd worked, again, my background was in nonprofits and fundraising, mainly for higher education schools. Um, so the resort was different for me. It was, uh, you know, kind of like a campus with all the different entities that we have, but uh, it was different. And so I was our group golf sales manager. Loved it. I loved getting to talk to folks about golf, coming and playing the floating green. It was something that's on a lot of people's bucket list. And so I got to be the advocate and, you know, the ambassador really connecting those dreams with an opportunity to come here. And so really uh, like that role. Uh, it, it grew and I turned, uh, developed into a, develop, a director of golf sales role. I helped train our reservation staff, uh, help with the marketing for golf. And so uh, really just kind of expanded that role and again, loved it. Um, and then uh, recently in January, I was transitioned and promoted into a national sales role. 
And so I work with uh, clients that are in insurance business or out of the Northeast or the Midwest. So I work with, uh, with different clients and companies to try to bring large conventions and conferences here to the resort. Um, so super great opportunity. And then in the meantime, I've also got really connected with, with uh, the community. And so I'm a member of the core group. I'm a wish grantor for Make-A-Wish Foundation and, uh, and lead a life group and uh, coach youth sports at Real Life Ministries. So love uh, being a part of our community here and fortunate to be in my role. Yeah, you, yeah, you got quite the resume. You got a lot going on there. <laughs> so let's go back to football. How do you feel about all this football stuff happening this fall? Um, well, that's a loaded question. I know, I, think, I, know I feel and I'm having a really rough time with it. But, uh, you know, a fellow or a, a someone that used to play football college, especially, I bet this is bringing emotions, especially like if you put yourself in a freshman's position that's about to go play football, I can't imagine what they're going through. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel for the, I feel for all the kids. You know, they train hard. It's hard to play college sports, any sport, whether it's football or basketball or soccer, volleyball, uh, golf, you know, run track. It doesn't matter. All those sports are very hard to get to compete at any level, whether it's Division III, NAIA, or Division One, And so um, a lot of the media, it reflects, you know, the big schools. The, that's where a lot of the TV time goes to. But even though the, the guys and girls that are playing at younger schools, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Um, personally, I think that uh, there's kind of a missed opportunity with the NCAA and with the college athletes. I think um, the Pac-12 came out with their, the students kind of did a demand letter about COVID and about other things that were going on. And I think that was really just a missed opportunity. I think student athletes have an opportunity to have a voice uh, through the NCAA, through the, it's called the SAC, Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And it was unfortunate that um, those wishes weren't presented through that platform and they were just kind of done rogue. And as you can see, it led to almost an immediate cancellation of all fall sports. And so I think that's a reflection of that. When you send a demand letter in any, in any business, when you get a demand letter, <laughs> that makes the other decide have to make a decision quickly. And so I think that led to the immediate cancellation of a lot of these uh, the sports, you know, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. I think uh, other conferences are trying to navigate the waters. You know, you see the players from uh, the ACC coming out and saying that they want to play. And I, uh, I respect the conferences for, for looking into it all that they can. Ultimately, I don't know. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of the virus is very dangerous and it could be very sickening. But I think because of the political, the, the election that's coming, I, I, unfortunately, I don't think anyone's going to get to play because if you play sports right now, it seems like you're supporting one side. And uh, whether that's the case or not, I just think there's too much political optics when, you know, the president's running for president and has a, he comments on it. I think it just makes it very political. And so unfortunately, I think uh, there's going to be a lot of student athletes disappointed that they don't get to compete this year. And uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, oh yeah, you don't get, you don't get those years back and um, it's hard to take a season off any sport and, and play, you know, not playing football for a year. Um, I think personally, the notion of playing in the spring is not realistic uh, for football. I mean, first of all, a lot of these campuses, they share facilities. Yeah. So they don't have unlimited weight rooms. They don't have unlimited indoor space. And so it's not really fair to say, okay, football is going to play in the spring now. So baseball and basketball and volleyball, you now have to, you know, not get to practice. And so I think that's part of the problem, um, whether there's a problem. And I think asking kids, if, if you're concerned about player safety, getting kids to play two seasons in eight months is just not, not realistic. So, um, but again, it's unfortunate and I hope they figure something out. But right now I just feel like the student athletes um, should to communicate what they want. And I don't feel like they've done that thus far. Yeah. It's, it's hard to see that when I saw that, cause I'm a huge fan of like the Bobcats over in Montana state. Um, and I saw the big sky was just canceled. And then the sec, I'm, you know, um, they're just doing like in-conference games and it's just, it's just, and then who goes to the game, who doesn't go to the game. Can you watch it? Like there's just so many 
especially like in the South, like they, they, that's, they breathe, eat, live football. And then they're like, wait, what do we do? <laughs> you know what I mean? So totally. it'll There's be so much information now that you don't know what's, you know, everything's, I guess, true, but you got some states that are starting up high school football and they're testing their athletes at a certain level. And, you know, I just, there's just so much information out there. And there's two doctors that will say that it's safe and one that say that it's not safe. And this one's from this, you know, higher in school and this one's from this higher in school. So then it's like, well, who's better? It's just, it's, just, exactly. it's so political. So, that, who it, knows? <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't know who to even believe right now. It's just, everything changes instantly. Like on the daily, you know, like the CDC says one thing and then it's like changes. So it's just, it's a lot, but, um, we could go on and on about this. Um, let's talk more about you. Um, a few fun questions. Since moving to Coeur d'Alene, um, what is your favorite go-to restaurant here in town? Ooh, my favorite go-to restaurant. You know, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, as an employee of the, the resort, I would suggest all resort restaurants at all times are great places to eat. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Beverly's View, you can't get anything better than that. That's right. The golf course has a great uh, view for their, for their restaurant. Cedars has a great... Uh, salad bar among other things the fish is good as well but um but i do have two small kids and none of those places are places that are uh the best for my wild kids and so it seems like we go to capone's a bunch it's close to the house we can sit outside if we're allowed no one cares and we just stumbled across bells out in uh Whoa. north hayden on lancaster and so that's definitely a, a must a must get that brunch is so good mm-hmm no joke. <laughs> so what is uh, one piece of advice you would give um, a younger you? Ooh, a younger me. Probably be just to be respectful to people. I don't think uh, as a young person, I didn't understand um, interactions and how you, how you work with people and how you act and how that people don't forget about that. And so that opportunity for the, whether it's a first impression or just in general and i think that that's one thing that um especially now because of social media whenever i was we were growing up i'm assuming we're about the same age social media wasn't really a, i didn't even have we didn't have facebook i mean i think uh, what was it myspace was kind of <laughs> coming along yep and and so uh fortunately um i didn't do anything didn't we didn't do a lot of, I, I didn't do anything that put myself in a position where i couldn't excel in a career or future because of decisions that i made but I think looking back, that would be advice that I'd give myself is that, you know, anything that you post or that you do it stays with you. It doesn't go away. And so just making sure that um, you don't jeopardize a future because of a decision that you make, you know, when you're young. Yeah. I know um, a lot of people, like if you're hiring someone, it's something you actually go look at their social media or um, even college athletes. I know some friends that are into like that are coaches and stuff. And they, they go look at their social media before they even recruit them because they're like, is this person, yeah, they could be the best athlete, but if they're, you know, doing really bad things on the weekends or after practice, it's not someone you want on your team. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, what kind of kid were you like growing up? Um, we played sports all the time. So there was four of us. It seems like we were always on the road. My dad and my, my dad started a machine shop uh, out of his garage. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Three boys and one, one okay. girl. Uh, my sister is the baby so uh <laughs> we uh we were always at a ball field we played you know football basketball baseball we were always going 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 uh, my dad started a machine shop out of his garage and he's really grown that into over 300 employees now and so watching his blue collar uh work ethic really instilled in us and so we were um i would say we were very active but we were very focused we didn't um 
really party. We didn't do any of that stuff. We just trained and we shot hoops and we ran and we played football. That's just what we did all the time. And down in Texas, that's kind of how we're raised too. I mean, oh yeah, um, football isn't very important. <laughs> oh yeah, I went through, I mean, I've been to Texas. I've been to Dallas for work. I've done some other stuff, but I drove through Texas on my, my last van trip and I went to the grocery store. And I went in the grocery store, this little teeny town. I remember the name of it. And my boyfriend's still in the van and I come in and this ladies, I, I go in and get some stuff and I come out and I was like, oh, I can grab the cart and go out. And she's like, no, 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 no. We got this. We can help you. And I was like, this other guy got to push his own cart out. But I was like, whatever. She helps load it. And I was telling her, I was like, they wouldn't let me push my cart. He's like, you're in Texas. Like, this is how they do this. They like, make sure they take care of you. Like you're a woman and they want to like, I was like, they're, it was so, everyone was so polite. And I was like, this Texas people, they're like, they're raised really right. Well, thanks. That's different. When I moved up here, it's funny. Uh, I used to, I mean, I still open the door for my wife. She hates it. She thinks it's stupid that she can open the door for herself. Oh. <laughs> um, but you know, Brookshire's is a, is a grocery store down there that they'll push your cart out for you. They don't let you touch your cart, uh, going to the parking lot. Um, but even saying, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. Up here, people, you know, really get offended sometimes by it. They think that it's sarcasm or whatever, but, um, yeah, it's just how we're, we're, we're raised down there and, um, uh, thankful for that. Yeah, it's so true because um, I, I, my boyfriend has some uh, friends down there that I met and they like the mom was she was telling her daughter like she said, oh, yeah. And she goes, no, no, you say yes, ma'am. And so like these kids were trained to say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. And I was like, wow, this is this is awesome. I loved it. And like their cute little accents, too. So <laughs> well, it's different now. I mean, I was always taught to respect positions, you know, like for coaches, use that as an example, whether you like the coach, or you didn't like the coach, like you respected the position that they had or the title that they had. And so, um, I, I, from what I see up here, I don't know if it's up here or just, you know, on a national standpoint, we're, we're losing sight of that respect for those positions, you know, whether it's the presidency or it's governors or whatever, I think, uh, unfortunately we're kind of missing that. We're losing out on that. Oh yeah. And I think that's with, uh, it's a generation thing too. I think there's, it's not being taught to respect or even just, you know, even if we don't agree, we still have to respect people and like treat people kindly. So um, totally. the South is still holding on to that for a little bit longer. Um, that's what I felt. Every time I go down there, I feel like everyone waves. I went running and everyone's waving at me. And I was like, I don't know you. And I was like, being polite and nice. And I'm like, okay, see ya. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know you had a good experience down yes, there. Yes, I did. Um, so what is one life lesson that you have learned the very hard way? Life lesson that I've learned the hard way. It's got to be parenting. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Uh, my wife and I, you know, try hard and we, we read a lot and we seek advice and counsel from different folks, but it's probably just how to, uh, how to navigate the waters of raising, a, you know, a young person, a young woman and a young man in this day and age and um, what that looks like. Yeah. And I would say that, um, you know, on the surface, Parents get a lot of wins on Instagram. I always do hashtag dad wins when I get my kids to sleep because if you're a parent, you know that getting your kids to sleep is a huge win. Um, but there's there's tons of dad fails too, and it's just you know trying to art communicate and articulate what you need and want and and how and how do you um, navigate those waters. And so I think from a life lesson standpoint, um, continuing to evolve and figure out what that looks like and how do you um, show compassion and discipline to a four year old, yeah. where a lot of folks would say, well, they're too young, but I, if I, I feel like it's, if my wife and I don't, you know, teach them the right things, you know, the rights and wrongs, then who's going to. Yeah. And so um, I would say that's definitely the life lesson that we're going through right now is just figuring out how do we, you know, how do we show respect in bedtime when she doesn't want to go to sleep or when the, 
the 18 month old throws a fit because he doesn't get, you know, cheese it when he wants it or whatever. So <laughs> I know important stuff. Tabitha. They've got it rough. They've got it real rough. <laughs> they do. Yeah. So if you, um, so say if you had a billboard and you could put anything you wanted on it, what would it say or what would be on this billboard? Oh, billboard. You know, I would probably say, I always tell, um, my kids this being nice is a choice so i'd probably say you know be nice <laughs> it's a choice and i think that's one thing that sounds silly and that it's um can be overused but it's true and it's for everybody it's not just for my kids it's for me it's for you know you it's for my wife it's for everybody being nice is a choice and so no matter what someone does to you or how they treat you you can choose whether you're going to be nice to them or not and so that would be my oh, billboard it'd be perfect i mean kindness that's what i keep telling people i was like we're all going through a rough time right now, whether emotionally, physically, whatever, you know, maybe you lost your job, maybe you're having depression, or maybe um, you just are tired of being cooped up and you're feeling like with the mask and everything going on, just be kind to people. Everyone's dealing with it differently. And it is just be nice. Like we teach kids to do that. Like, just be nice to them. And, sure. you know, and I think that's what a lot of people just need to like, take a deep breath and just be kind. We all are dealing with it differently. For sure. And no one can, no matter what someone does to you, it's still your choice whether you're nice or not. So someone cuts you off on the street, you know, you can give them the bird, you can honk at them, or you can just be nice and slow down and let them come on over. Yeah, uh, my mom um, is one of the kindest women you'll ever meet, but put her in a car and someone cuts her off. <laughs> I'm like, mom, and like the stuff that comes out of her mouth and she, you meet her and you're like, gosh, she's such a nice woman. And then you get her behind the wheel and I was like, rogue rage. <laughs> Oh, no, no one's perfect, Tabitha. Come on. I think it's because no one can hear her. So she's like, like get it out. <laughs> um, what is the best compliment you've ever received? The best compliment I've ever received? Uh, I would say there's two. They're kind of, this one's kind of weird, but uh, first and foremost, again, as a parent, just anytime my kid does something that other people recognize as respectful, uh, that to me is mm -hmm. a compliment thing. You know, um, we talk about being nice, but really just being respectful. And so um, that's a huge compliment to, to Jen and I whenever we get feedback like that. And then another compliment I would say is that whenever I was playing sports, even growing up, I never really, um, I wouldn't say try, but I didn't really apply myself that well to the academic side of, of it, of it all. <laughs> I mean, I was a fine student, don't get me wrong, but I never really applied myself to uh, academics like I did athletics. And so whenever I um, was pursuing my master's degree, I ended up, uh, was recognized as the academic player of the year for the conference. And that to me was something that I would never in a million years think that I could accomplish because I wasn't that smart. And so for me, like that was a huge compliment that I was recognized as that um, because I, again, got to see all the skills that you learn as an athlete, how you transition into something else, whether it's work or whether it's academics or whether it's being a parent you you're built the foundations there to succeed anything as long as you're utilizing um you know that skill set so i think it's a huge compliment for it yeah especially that's not somewhere like i my brothers they grew up like they could just wake up and take a test and i was one that to study and but like to recognize as an athlete because you know this is like athletes we're you know you're you have to go to practice, you have to study, you have to do this. And there's some social life, there's family, there's all these things. And so to like keep a good grades and, you know, keep on that and academically plus play sports and college sports are way more demanding. That's a full-time job plus mm -hmm. going to school. 
Um, and now I can't imagine being a, a child because of the, what kids are like, they have to do AU, they have to do team, they have to do all of these things to be good at sports, to be even recognized. I can't eat, I, I, and keep on school and do something musically. I can't imagine. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And the instant, um, again, social media, the instant gratification and the, the success and the, the perception of success that people have through that, those platforms, um, it's going to definitely change sports and, you know, just the lives of kids growing up. So uh, who's your biggest hero or inspiration? Well, it's got to be my parents, first of all. I mean, for my dad to start a company out of his garage, and uh, he's I think he's 42 years into it now, wow. and just grinds away and um, has done a lot of good things for, for business, but really just for, he builds helicopter parts for the military. And so um, he, he's just the character that he has when it comes to that line of work and the things that he you know does, uh, just something that I'll, I mean, he, he's taught me so much about being just a good man and a good person that uh, he's definitely someone that I look up to. And then there was a Dean whenever I was in college that he's the one that really made me realize like you could, all the success you have in athletics, you can, you know, move to other areas. You're not just an athlete. And that to me was like eye opening and it was uh, really encouraging and really set me on the path that I'm on. Um, so I would say his name's Brian. So I would say Brian and my father for sure are the two biggest, uh, mentors and inspirations for me yeah that's such a true statement too um athletes get pegged as like you're only an athlete and um but you learn so much especially with team sports you learn so much about yourself and so much about you know life um is there a like moment whether it's sports or not is there a moment that you can look back and you learn the most about yourself oh there are so many um i mean I learned a lot about myself because I got to be, I got to look at athletics from a different side of the, the aisle, if you will. So as an athlete, you know what you get or don't get. And that's how you like are focused on, you know, that we don't have enough of this or we don't get enough of that, or this team gets whatever. And I think whenever I was in the student body role, it was like, wait a minute, athletes are getting all these things, but here, this, you know, the international students need this and the, sororities and fraternities need this. And so it was really just an opportunity to look at what the bigger picture of things. Oh. And it's really helped me now to look at the bigger picture. So whenever I'm working with a client, like obviously it's important to know what the resort has or needs and then what the client needs or, and looking at it from a bigger you know, standpoint. Yeah. And so it's really helped me look at things from a different perspective. Um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but oh, that's great. That's perfect. No, that's it. It is. It's like you can see the bigger picture instead of focusing just on you and your sports and your, your little bubble. I mean, that's just a, a mi minor thing, especially in college when you're looking at a huge picture um, or anything like with our jobs, you now have to look at so many more components. Now that you work, there's golf, there's conferences and there, there's all this stuff that you have to like coordinate and do. And it's, you have to really, and I like that you look goes into the client's needs as there's so many different levels in, in making that work. Um, so with your community stuff, let's go to there is, um, you're part of the core group um, and you give back. Um, what are ways that like, if anyone's listening, is there a way that they can help or get involved or do anything for any of the community or nonprofits or anything that you're involved with? Sure. Well, the core group's just an amazing organization. Um, and it's a group that a group of young men and young professionals that want to, we say, get shit done. And so we roll our sleeves up and we've helped build uh, playgrounds and, and different things in the community. Our biggest project that we do is we sell ducks and do a, do the raffle, but we do that so we could, uh, that's our really our only fundraiser. And we generate those funds because we build lockers in schools. And so we meet with school districts and we meet with elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, and put those lockers in. 
And it's not just a locker like in a, in a weight room or in a locker room, you know, like that. It's really an opportunity for these kids that don't have socks and shoes or pens. They go to the safe space that we've helped provide and they can get that. And so that's huge to us. It's, we're very passionate about it. Uh, we usually do two a year and we issue them to schools. And, and the community is great because um, the Excel Foundation raffles off the opportunity to, you know, for naming rights for that. And so helping the Excel Foundation raise money and then again we're working with different donors in town to put these lockers up for the ultimate goal just to help help kids in our community that need it they don't have a coat well go to this little locker and see if there's something there for you and so uh, we've expanded that we do a, a annual breakfast with uh, the school leaders so we've got folks from Coeur d'Alene Post Falls and we are actually branching out a little bit to the north and we bring everybody together here at the resort and we share best practices and there's certain communities that have a, a surplus of socks and certain that really need underwear and so just an idea, an opportunity for us to all to get together and share ideas about what's what's going on. And so, um, yeah, I would just say help from help from that standpoint. When the duck derby comes around each year, um, if you if you see anybody or, or get want to buy some ducks and have a chance, it's fun. We we number them off, put them in the river, and we float them around Silverwood, and then we uh, it's great. We've got about fifteen hundred ducks usually that are well, maybe even more than that this year. So yeah, I was like, you probably, you guys did really well, even with everything happening. I know you had to push the duck derby back but I saw the videos and stuff for it and it looked awesome. It looked like there was a lot of ducks in those little Silverwood, like, is it, is it the Lazy River? Is that yep. yep. The, the Lazy River. Yeah. Our, the, guy, I mean, the guys in the core group have really grown too. I mean, um, Shane Greenfield, I got to give him a shout out. He's really expanded the, uh, the look for the core group. So he's got his drone out there and helps us promote <laughs> that, uh, that race. So that's definitely fun. We've also, um, you know, when COVID hit back in March, we really got together and said, Hey, what can we do to help? And so we created a task force and there was guys, I want to say between 15 to 20 guys committed to, um, committed to this task force. And so we created basically a hotline. People could call and say, you know, elderly people that wouldn't safe for them to leave. They could call in or email and say, Hey, I really need to get groceries. I really need to get, um, you know, whatever the need was. And if it was, there are certain things we couldn't, couldn't do, but for the most part, uh, we would organize it. Guys would go pick up the groceries, deliver them at the house. We met with the local hospitals and, and panel health to figure out what could we do that was safe. And so, I mean, we helped serve a ton of people in our community just by doing that, answering the call when people needed it. And so that was really cool. Again, it's great to be a part of a, a group that's just willing to do that. You know, these guys all own, run, uh, or high level, you know, business folks in our community, and they're stopping what they're doing to help out in that capacity. Um, and that's just a couple of things that we do. You know, we've also got into the Make-A-Wish. Uh, when I was a student athlete, I got to experience that from a, you know from helping out. And so I think right now there's eight or nine of us that are helping grant wishes in Coeur d'Alene. And Make-A-Wish has been a great foundation, um, I think, nationally, but there's a need for, for adults to help uh, with that granting process. You know, think about it, you know, you're a nonprofit. They have plenty of money. They have a lot of need. They just need that, that grantor to help facilitate that need. And so uh, for us, again, it was a get our hands dirty type of organization. And so we've we've excelled in um, serving in that capacity. You know, it's not always huge successes uh, because if you know about make a wish, you know, obviously those uh, young people are at a rough part of their, their life. And so uh, when it works out, it's great because just a smile and the joy that you're able to bring them has been, been amazing. So I think I'm now working on my fourth wish, wish uh, student. So it's, it's been great. I love doing it and love being a part of it something that we'll, as a family, we'll do. So my wife and I eventually, show, when the kids get a little bit older, it'll be an opportunity for us to show our kids how we can serve, uh, serve back in the community too. That's a perfect life lesson you can give your kid is just showing that, that feeling of giving something without re needing to receive anything. Absolutely.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you are fantastic and keep doing great things in our community and great things at the resort. Um, if anyone needs to get a hold of you for any reason, is there a good way to reach out to you? Sure. Uh, email is t4tfore at cdaresort.com. And then my Instagram handle, I don't know if, if you're into that, but uh, it's at, uh, t, at t number four golf. So at t number four golf. Thanks, Tabitha. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Keeping Tabs. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube, Spotify, or iTunes to listen to all the great interviews. Keeping Tabs is all about people, telling the story of some amazing people we have in our community and across the world. So make sure you subscribe, like, and follow along.